G'day and welcome to Grad Chat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I am your host for this week's Grad Chat. Of course, a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and CFRC, so thank you very much to both of them. Now, if your mates miss the shows at any time, you can download the podcast the next day on either iTunes, Google Podcast, or Stitcher. So no excuse not to hear what our awesome students and postdoctoral fellows are doing. Today, I would like to introduce you to Derrière Gongo, who has just completed her PhD in sociology under the supervision of Dr. Annette Burfoot. Welcome to Graduate Derrière, and congratulations on completing. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you also for congratulating me. I know it's a big feat for all for all those PhD students, and so you've done a marvelous job of getting through that. And it must be quite a relief to finish. It is, <laughs> it is, and I'm saying all to other graduates who are hoping to finish. There is hope. I finished. <laughs> you can do too. <laughs> so you all do yeah. eventually finish, and you know sometimes yeah. people are a bit quicker than others, but you do get there, which because is great. Because at some point, I was, I, I really felt like, okay, this is not gonna finish. And my metaphor was like, I'm digging a hole, but I'm supposed to be opening a tunnel. Okay, that's uh, a good metaphor, yes. Especially a chapter, it killed me right. when I was writing it. It, it. One particular chapter, I was losing hope, but then after that, it was more straightforward. Right, so and you always have, I guess you always have one section that's just a little bit tricky. Yeah. But once you can get through it, you find your way through it. Yeah, probably, probably, yeah. Well, you so, did find your way through it. <laughs> yeah, and the writing camps helped, I, I must say. Excellent, yes, we love yeah. our writing camps. Yeah. <laughs> um, we have a few th- over summer, which is really nice for everybody. And so, yeah, so it's, get a bit spoiled out of those writing yeah. camps, I must admit. Now, your research topic was the feminist implications of maternal and infant health promotion in Turkey through the current family medicine model's pregnancy monitoring mandate. Which is a bit of a mouthful, but there we go. That's a, that's a really big topic. And actually, I first got to hear about that your research when you participated in the three-minute thesis competition back in 2017. I actually found that fascinating then, but I'm, I'm sure you have more to tell us now. Firstly, though, how did you feel about condensing your research into three minutes? Did it help clarify why you went into that subject in the first place? Did it help you get through that little block in that particular chapter? I don't know. (laughs) How did you feel about the whole thing? First of all, I didn't have the block back then. Right. It came later on. I don't know why I participated in three minutes thesis competition, to be honest. But Mm -hmm. I think in general, I like going out of my comfort zone. So I'm like, okay, let's give it a go. But... Then later, retrospectively thinking, I'm just thinking, yeah, I did really good job. Right, yes, just you applying did. that, not not necessarily in the competition. It was it was good too, but like I did a good job participating in because I learned a lot. Right about myself, about my potential, and also I really learned to communicate my research with lay people. Perfect. Or maybe not lay people, but people who are expert on other areas. Right. And I actually realized this when I went to the writing camp following the competition that right. summer. Yes. Like, because mo- the most common question you get there is like, what is your research about? And before I, I remember struggling, oh, there is this 
family medicine model and you know they're doing this but after the competition I was like you got it yeah <laughs> you, had, you had a down pat you had that little elevator pitch ready to yes, go yes which is yes, really good that was great and also three minutes helped me understanding breathing calming down right. getting your best pitch and like I was doing research I don't know how I got to that point you know when you google you just sometimes lose control yes and then I realized actually I could control my voice and then it could help me control my anxiety at the stage and everything and through that I learned singing actually helps me oh is that right yeah and then since then I'm singing before important oh that's your way of getting yourself ready yes like it's kind of meditating and breathing like because you should breathe through your diaphragm when you sing and I realize it helps me calming down and also it helps me getting my best pitch because when you're stressed I learned this when I was getting ready for three minutes (laughs) when you're stressed you tend to breathe through your lungs right and like through your chest and it's actually not a healthy breathing right and then your voice gets a little Yes. But then, yeah, even before my PhD defense and this morning, I sang to get my <laughs> I best love it. That's pitch. great. So, so if we start hearing all our PhD students and master's <laughs> students singing around campus, we know they've got a presentation coming up. <laughs> yeah. That's brilliant. That's a great way of uh, getting yourself calm because you're right. We do tend to use the yeah. wrong breathing technique, particularly when we're a little stressed or anxious. Yes. I do the same sometimes. I, I keep taking breaths and forget to breathe out. And so yeah. you clearly got a lot out of participating in the three-minute yes. thesis. It helped yes. you in a lot of different ways, which yes. is fantastic. Yes. It, so with that in mind, though, with your research topic, which we mentioned earlier, can you give us, give us a bit of an overview of what that research is? Because not everyone would have heard your yeah. three-minute thesis back in 2017. Yeah, of course. My research focuses on the family medicine model in Turkey, as you just said. Mm-hmm. And this model uh, started in 2010. It came with a particular mandate, which suggests the family health professionals working for this model to monitor pregnant women. And this mandate is regulated through the performance-based payment model. So accordingly, the family health professionals working for this model, they are supposed to find pregnant women, register register them to the system, and also do uh, at least four follow-ups during their entire pregnancy. Okay. And if they do not do this, if they miss a pregnant woman or a couple of pregnant women, they lose some money, they they face some pay deductions. Oh, is that right? Yeah, and then they also face some warning points which might lead to a termination of their contract with the government if it accumulates to a certain extent. If they do the follow-ups and if they register pregnant women, I mean, if they fulfill their responsibilities regarding this mandate, then they get additional points. Okay, so I guess a couple of questions come up straight away there. Yeah. <clears throat> why, did, why did the government want to bring in this regulation? So prompted it in the first place? The, the documented objective of this program is to... Uh, increase maternal and infant health in general. Okay. So they're trying to reach out pregnant women. So it actually, on paper, it has a great purpose. Yes. And through my research, I saw it works for some women, which is great, but it 
doesn't work for some other women. So I will come to that later. Uh, but on purpose, that's the on paper. Sorry, that's the main reason. But different from the Canadian context. Right. So you might think, but like people already go to their family physicians. Why would you have this mandate or something like this in Turkey? Mm-hmm. Seeing your family physician. Uh, is to get to see a specialist is not necessary. Like there is no compulsory referral chain. Okay. So I can skip my family doctor and go to other doctors. And and this means for pregnant women, they can actually go to a gynecologist Straight away. and skip mm-hmm. their family physicians, which actually means they, they're already seeing someone. So yes. the system doesn't require to provide them any prenatal medical care. But I think they couldn't figure that out like how to handle these differences they and they went with like okay let's register all women all together because i guess so, their their concern is that there are women who are missing out yes and, yes and, and there are going. so this way you can try and catch them all. yes yes right. right and they are i know that and did they have right in the get-go did they have numbers that suggested those women who weren't getting medical help we're more from the rural or rural areas or or to the city yeah of course rural areas it is higher mm-hmm. it's a lot higher because um, in the rural areas it is harder to access to the health facility and also in the rural areas there is a predominantly kurdish population sometimes they don't speak turkish and then right. usually health providers they speak turkish that might be a problem too But my research, of course, this was a qualitative research. So I provided the general framework and general background information on all Turkey. But I focused on the urban case. I focused on like a city called Bursa, which is like the size-wise similar to Toronto. Okay, right. Um, So it's quite big then. It is a big city. Yeah. Yeah. And so... With that in mind then, I know on paper you want to make sure, on paper they were saying they want to make sure that women who are pregnant have the necessary medical backup that's yeah. required. Did they also find, though, that those who were seeking medical help, I guess the horrible thing to say is, was there a lot of infant fatalities because women weren't getting assistance early enough? I mean, was that what's... I mean, I know you said I'm, it prompted because they want to make sure all women who are pregnant have mm-hmm. good medical backup. Mm-hmm. But was there another underlying factor, i.e., perhaps the birth birth deaths? Yeah, of course, because were high, were high. they they were trying to control both maternal. Uh, mortality rates and right. infant mortality rates. That's the main goal because right. they are the signifiers of development of a country. Okay. And actually, uh, I should say Turkey was not doing so bad. I can't remember the exact numbers, but I think let's say five out of ten thousand. So this is the way infant mortality rates work. Okay. Uh, but. Compared to OECD countries, which is Turkey also a member of, it was below. And that has a political meaning in the global scene. Right. So this was why a goal for our government to improve the uh, infant health and like maternal health as well. The model came in 2010, but this is actually a part of a bigger health transformation program. Okay. And they are still in the power since then. 
I think we had three or four elections. Yeah, but okay, this but is it's still, the, still the same. This is still, still the, the same, same government. Okay, yeah. all right. So they're continuing on. Yeah. So, so let's get to your work, your work that you're doing. So, how did you decide to take this topic as your your research topic? I mean, what what was the impetus for you to put this into look into this further? Yeah. So, in 2011, back then I still lived in Turkey. Mm-hmm. And I was visiting my family doctor. I was sitting in the lunch to for my appointment. And then a notice caught my eye on the wall. I'm going to quote the notice. It said, quote, it's mandatory for pregnant women to notify their family physician about their pregnancy within the trimester of their gestation, quote. Okay, so in the first 12 weeks of their pregnancy. So yeah. that's, that's Pre- a bit hard because sometimes... De- I mean, most people wouldn't know till closer to the end of that first trimester. Yeah, yeah but even before that, my mm-hmm. question, I was doing my master's back then. Right. But I'm like, huh, like mandatory. It suggests like mm-hmm. there must be sanctions if you don't, if you don't. do it. Right. And I was like, what would happen to pregnant women? If they don't. If they didn't, don't Yeah, because you're right. It. It's a very strong word, mandatory. Yeah, mandatory. It's a, and back then I didn't know the information I provided you earlier, like about the pregnancy monitoring mandate, how it was regulated through the performance payment system. Right. So I I actually got really curious. So what would this mean? Like, and we are in Turkey, like this is a country where um, pregnancy out of wedlock is still a social taboo. So I, I immediately like my feminist sociologists inside me immediately started to think of, oh, there's something interesting and might be wrong here. Right. And then I did a little bit of research after seeing this note and I realized the change and the like performance-based system regarding that and etc. And actually, the notice was misleading. It was not mandatory for pregnant women. It was it mandatory. It was mandatory for the health the, professionals. Right, right. So it was the flipped. Yeah, yes. but of course, the health professionals kind of they're using their power there and putting the responsibility to pregnant women at least, like they would get them. half of it this way. So then they would put their energy to find other pregnant women themselves. So that was their backup of trying to yeah. make sure they captured everyone yeah. by putting it back onto the yeah. pregnant woman Yeah. to notify them. So yeah, that, that notice was misleading. And interesting enough, when I was doing my field research, I went to that particular clinic and a similar notice with very similar wording Is was that still right? there uh-huh. after seven, eight years. Wow. Yeah. Hasn't changed. Yeah. Well, I guess it's, like I said, it's their way of making sure they tr- try and capture yeah. everybody. Yes. So what kind of findings did you you get from, from so your research? Because I, I know you, was, you yeah. said you're concentrating on one region. Yes. So I, of course, like with this research, this is exploratory research. So I wanted to see what is going like behind the scenes, what is happening in practice, because I wasn't sure if actually family health professionals, would they really pay attention? Like how much Mm -hmm. do they care about this model and how much they didn't? And if they cared, then what kind of things they were doing to reach out pregnant women. And I wanted to understand what this means for for women. (laughs) Anyway, so my findings are very 
striking, I I should say, because I realized they're doing really interesting stuff to find pregnant women. Oh, that's good. So they're being, they're really getting out there. They, they are like, they, they didn't care about the incentives coming from the performance system, meaning that if they find a pregnant woman, they are getting additional payment. They said, we don't care about this. It's not a, a lot of amount. Right. But they were very concerned about the disincentives, which means pay deductions and warning points. So right. they really actively try to find pregnant women, actively try to register them, and actively try to do the number of follow-ups that they were required to do. Right. And doing this, they do a lot of interesting things. I, I would start with the most basic and common one. For instance, I go to the clinic for something else and they ask me if I'm pregnant. Oh, really? Yeah. And I would then, find that a bit annoying, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and then I go there again for another reason. They might ask me if I know anybody pregnant in my neighborhood. Is because, that right? Because this is a neighborhood uh, like level right. uh, system. So they ask me about my neighborhood. And then... They even said they have like key people. They say, you know, there is a key person in every neighborhood who knows it all. So we ask them whenever they visit us, do you know anybody in your pregnant in your neighborhood? Something <laughs> like this. Wow. So and then it gets even creepier because they I learned that they are required to use an electronic health record system. Right. So, of course, they didn't create this themselves. The government makes them use it. Right. But the way they use it, again, like there is something about them um, that makes it really interesting. And I, I'm just going to say it. So they can see, let's say, th there is this entire health record tracking system in Turkey right now. It's national and right. wherever I go, and there are private hospitals in Turkey too, but even the private system is integrated to this into system. It, right. Yeah. A health record inputted into one part of the system is transferable to my family physician. And the nurse and midwife working okay. with that particular family physician. And they can see all the information, all health records regarding me, even if it wasn't in the clinic. In that clinic. Like, yeah, like if I go to another hospital, if I have a pregnancy test there, then they can see the pregnancy result. Right. And then they are immediately, oh, this person is pregnant, let's give her a call and invite her to the clinic. And they, they know the woman patients of them, right? They have listed patients. So I have a regular family physician there. So they keep tracking of these women. They check their information. They actually go and like, the, this is like data mining. They yes. go and look at the full slate of health records that they have from the tests to the medications that they are using, they might deduce that, oh, they might be pregnant. pregnant. Then again, they try to reach out to these women. I mean, I can uh, understand wanting to have a complete picture of someone's health, but normally, like for instance, you do so something happens in the hospital, the hospital says, do you want us to send these results to your doctor, yeah. your family physician? That So it's you still have a choice to say no. Yeah, and then this is another problem. There is no informed consent or any form of consent in this right. system. Women do not know. And like and there were other 
cases where there was a technical problem and let's say I go to the hospital and then they insert information that I was pregnant mistakenly. Right. And then this information goes to my family doctor and then they give me a call. And then this is another story though about because so when they they try to reach out to women, this is another part of the story. And Mm -hmm. then there is also interesting stories what happens when they try to reach out because sometimes they can't reach out the right person. And then they disclose the pregnancy uh, right. to third parties. And like you said, sometimes if it's an unwanted pregnancy or yeah. out of wedlock or whatever, yeah. that can cause all sorts of issues. Yes, yes. And like they they literally told me they called the ex-husband of a woman, which is like, I don't know in the Canadian context, but in Turkish context, this is very tricky because mm-hmm. we know there are some women who are murdered by their ex-partners because of still adultery, like alleged adultery cases. So if the husband hears this and would immediately think, oh, like maybe there was a like adultery case before mm-hmm. we got divorced. And, and they acknowledged that. They knew that that was wrong. But, it's, doctors, but it's too late. <laughs> the doctors, yeah. no, it's not, it's not even too late. They're like, we know it's wrong. We call the husband and we are talking. And then he said, yeah, I know she's pregnant. Then we were relieved. And then we ask, how can we reach out to your ex-wife yes. then? But like until the husband himself confirmed that he knew that his ex-wife was pregnant they were like a little tense but this didn't prevent them called the ex-husband just imagine the performance pressure on them i'm not trying to uh, like legitimize what they do no there's a lot of things that could cause more issues than just finding out that you're pregnant or registering that you're pregnant and then, yeah, definitely. This is this is why in the first place I started to do this research, actually. And then there are other cases, as I said, I was telling this story, but I needed to cut half. So let's say I go to the hospital, they mistakenly add that information, I'm pregnant, and then they there are cases like this. So they try to reach out me and they can't. Then they find this phone number in my system because, and it's the phone number of my father because my health uh, coverage is through my father there. And right. I'm using myself, but yes. it's not. it didn't happen to me, but I'm using mm-hmm. myself as an example. Then they give a call to my father and they are like, your your daughter's pregnant daughter. or there is the system was texting automatic messages uh, saying that you are pregnant we got your test results you are pregnant just come to the clinic so the main thing it really is an invasion of privacy yes um, yeah which is, which is a big issue yeah. there's significant surveillance and then the that part like they ask me are you pregnant or do you know anybody mm-hmm. pregnant in your neighborhood so I call this part community surveillance. Right. And then there is this electronic health record system and tracking pregnant women through that. And I call this part electronic surveillance. And then this is just to find pregnant women, right? Yes. And what happens after that when they try to reach out pregnant women and they can't? Right. And then they go extra mile to find them. And then there are pregnancy information disclosures, then I call this like privacy violation, which is very significant. It is significant. I mean, it's interesting because I th- 
It sounds like the government had good intentions, yes, but it just hasn't looked at the the, the larger ramifications yes. of how it's actually going to work and to and to protect people's privacy. Yes, in in all those sort of sections that you've talked about, yes. and also protect those health professionals who are just trying to do their job without getting pay cuts. I mean, I'm sure yeah. they're big enough at doing enough already without having to go searching for who's pregnant in the community. Yeah, they don't enjoy it, of course. No. And they said like we feel like we are. James Bond right or they like these are the worst I feel like I'm doing a detective job or things like that like I don't know if I'm a detective or a doctor right uh, this kind of thing so they they also are not happy about the situation but instead of working against this they still try, still to, try to do work it work with the system like instead of because i know there are other things that they don't like and they kind of unionize they came together and they are resisting it for instance they the government wanted them to work on saturdays too right. and then they didn't want to do this and then they did a good job unionizing right. against that but like this part i think it's also because this is about maternal and infant at some level they think this is a good thing so you know what I mean they mm-hmm. are trying to reach out pregnant women right. who might not be getting prenatal medical care and so, if they knew better they could ha- give yeah, us give this assistance is why it's hard to mm-hmm. question this practice in general I think well I mean also too um, you know was there an alternative reason for this coming into play I'd like we'd all like to think it's for the right reason i.e. Yeah. to make sure everyone is getting the maternal assistance that they need yeah but clearly it like i said it has other ramifications too it has ramifications for so sure. so how does this practice in turkey how is it for the rest of the world i mean the, every country has different ways of looking yeah. after women who are pregnant and things i mean how have you found the practice that's currently in place in turkey compared to say what happens in canada or south america i mean i don't know if you know that at all i mean you've lived in canada for mm-hmm. a while now mm-hmm. Maybe just even between Canada and Turkey. This is a great question. Thank you for asking that. And as you said, like I'm not an expert on the Canadian case, but this was a PhD research, so mm-hmm. I still needed to know to a certain extent. So the interesting thing in India, they have a very similar model. Okay. Some part of India, not the whole. It's not a national thing like it is in Turkey, but in a province in India. They have a similar model, but the mandatory part is really mandatory for pregnant women. For the woman. For the woman. If they do not report, if they do not inform their pregnancy to the authorities, then they lose some welfare benefit. And in Canada, we have very similar programs too um, embedded in the family system in Canada. But they are not compulsory. They right. are more or both for the health professionals and also women. Right. If they want, they yeah. reach out. But this doesn't mean that there are not any negative right. ramifications of this model. Because this whole idea that there should be a certain way of being pregnant, you should be very healthy, you should do this, you shouldn't do that, and etc. This comes with certain implications for women already. So mm-hmm. even if the system is not making things mandatory for women, the interaction with the family 
health professionals or health professionals in general, for instance, might put some marginalized women who are pregnant in a difficult situation. What I mean marginalized in this case is uh, women who are with HIV or women who are smoking, women who are abusing alcohol or drugs. So these women, for instance, might find it harder to get actually health benefits because of this whole negative stereotypes regarding them. Right. And I think in Canada, there is not a program necessarily targeting these kinds of women. But in the U.S., I know that they are targeting certain kinds of marginalized women, including poor women, and this comes with all the other implications. Right. And they might even incarcerated. Right. For instance, pregnant women might be incarcerated in the U.S. because of their drug use or alcohol abuse. And the way they are tracked down could be the health policy there. Because right. the health policy bring women to the attention of authorities. Right. And then things might go wrong from there. Right. It's, it's quite complicated, isn't it? Because, yeah. you know, you'd like to think anything to do with health, that we all have access to good health. Yes, And of course, there's ways around that one, making it accessible, whether it's through Medicare or anything like that. But then, of course, in the States, a lot of it's done by private insurance. So you don't even get through the door unless you've got the insurance. But then we've got a system like you've mentioned here in Turkey, where they're trying to do the right thing. But it's almost like the health professionals, like you said, are becoming police or detectives as opposed to just being the health professional. Yes. It's difficult to find what is the happy medium to, I mean, ultimately everyone wants to make sure the mother and baby are well. But what is the best way of doing that without invasion of privacy, without worrying about whether they have the money to be able to go to physicians to seek necessary assistance or being put in an awkward position because now the pregnancy is out there and for whatever reason they didn't want the family to know. But the family do know now. Yeah. So it does make it very, very difficult. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult to find the right balance because it changes from case to case. Mm -hmm. And also there is this whole a lot discussion like woman versus the baby, like whose life matters the most. Right. And like, can we approach them equally? These are really big like questions that mm-hmm. we still discuss. And I think the problem with the social science research is always this, like we are doing a great job finding the problems mm-hmm. and maybe reforming the system a little bit. Right. But when you reform the system, it doesn't mean you get rid of all the problems. No. You, you might create some other problems. And actually my research, my master's research was about the femicide in Turkey. Okay. Uh, I examined the newspaper reports and I show I showed the problems in the language to the extent that they might be legitimizing some certain cases. Right. And I remember I was asked in the defense, so what do you suggest then? What should be the right language? Because I made this like really intense research showing that even neutral language is not neutral because it is used only in certain cases. Okay. And I, I, I just thought, I think it's my, not my responsibility to find that answer because it's very hard. I don't know. It's very hard. Well, like you said, it's making people aware. And yeah. then what, awareness is, what comes does that particular first. country want yeah. to do from that awareness? Yeah. Do they want to keep status quo or do they want yeah. to make some changes, whether little tweaks or whether yeah. over, a, a huge overhaul? Yeah. But the only thing I know, for instance, in the U.S., like incarcerating 
pregnant woman because of alcohol abuse. Of course, right. I don't find this practice right or like compulsory abortions out of that right. because it just ignores the whole structure that made this woman right. make this choice. So um, yeah, there's lot, there's yeah. lots, lots to to take yeah. into consideration. Yeah. So what's next for you now? You're done. Now you got your PhD. What's What's next in the lineup for you? Uh, what is next? So I'm looking for jobs right now. Mm-hmm. And I made a decision to take the non-academic direction in my job search. Okay. Because I think I, I'm right now I'm feeling a little alienation because I can't see the implications of my research or this kinds of research in academia. I don't say these are not valuable research. They are right. all very valuable. But I think personally, I'm at a place that I would like to see the impact faster. Yeah. Right. Uh, so I'm looking for other kinds of jobs where I can see the impact faster. And in practice, I can observe like... So still do some research, but in a, either in a health place? You still want to go on the health route? Uh, health or women's rights, okay. women's sexual right. so and some reproductive sort of maybe rights. Maybe gov- government department or local yeah. department. And, and in place. general, it could be about like equity, diversity, inclusion, right. because my research focuses on the gender case, but I'm, I have a PhD, so yeah, I have you- a broader idea about the uh, the yes. such issues so it could be that too even in a different context making right. sure diversity and inclusion practices are done correctly right. from that like from women's rights to that but yeah I, I'm at a place right now I, I want to see immediate results right. of what I'm doing right and I don't know, of course, I like academic research, teaching and all that. But you can still do but some of that even yeah. in, in a job where yeah. you're um, outside academia. You yes. can still use those skills and things yes. that you've you've learned along yeah. the way. Yeah, and in the long term, I don't know if I really feel like, oh, I should come back to the academic world, maybe later. But right now, this is not the... You've got to get back into yes. it. You've got to get into the field. Yes. And is that in Canada or back in Turkey or Canada? Please, Canada. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Please, yeah. <laughs> if I can squish in, <laughs> if there's space for me. I love it. So, I love yeah, it. I, I would like to stay here. When I first come, I, I actually wasn't sure about that right i was like 50 50 let's see how it goes there and let's see how things go in my home country and now i'm i feel like i like it here that's good i mean i have a huge family and i miss them so much yes but i still love it here so much so i would like to yeah we're very lucky to be allowed to uh, live in canada i know i'm lucky too being an immigrant as well so (laughs) (laughs) we're very very lucky we're gonna have to call it quits because we're definitely got on time (laughs) so we're going to call it quits but thank you very very much for coming on to the show Um, good luck with I mean I know you've got your PhD now good luck with your next steps Uh, I'm sure we're going to hear lots lots from you and uh, keep in touch Thank you so much, Colette. I I really admire you. I love you. You know that. And <laughs> yeah. like that was great. Like I this is a great opportunity to discuss my research with someone whom I like, 
whom I know. So yeah, thank you for this opportunity. You are very welcome. And mm. I'm going to start practicing doing that singing before having to do something yeah. scary. <laughs> yeah. I love to sing. I don't always remember the words, but I love to sing. <laughs> so thank you for that. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. So that's it, everyone. Another week of Grad Chat sadly comes to an end. Don't forget you can download the show tomorrow from either iTunes, Google Podcast or Stitcher. Just type in Grad Chat. Until next week, this is CJ the DJ signing off with a big hooray. This podcast is produced in collaboration with CFRC.ca in Kingston, Ontario. CFRC is located on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. Infrastructure support for the CFRC podcast project is provided by the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science. For more information or to get involved in podcasting, visit podcasts.cfrc.ca.